exciting individual I've ever met. He isn't into the whole macho thing, but he knows who he is and what he wants. <laughs> Everyone thinks of him as a hero now, but I share his feelings and he's touched my soul. And right now, I would give anything to run my fingers through his <sighs> feathers. program may contain mature subject matter. Discretion is advised. You need to shut the fuck up. I know. It's been quite some time since the last episode. It seems like it was like almost a year ago. It really wasn't. It was just a little over a month ago, but you know, a lot of stuff has happened since then. We had, what, San Diego Comic-Con, and there was, like, new trailers that came out, new announcements. Um, I've watched a lot of stuff, including, ugh. So, so that Resident Evil series on Netflix, I didn't even finish it. And normally I'm that guy that would be like, okay, I'm going to at least finish it so I can talk about it. I couldn't. I got to episode four. I finished. That was, that was the last episode I watched. And I know... Sort of what happens at the end. I don't care. Uh, that's saying something because, okay, I know. I read, there's a lot of people out there that like to pick on the Resident Evil movies. And they say, oh, they didn't follow the games, blah, 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 this and that. Yeah, okay, whatever. Mila Jovovich, your acting sucks. Okay, whatever. But at least I could watch those and enjoy them. I mean, yeah, they weren't Resident Evil, but they were still... They were Resident Evil, <laughs> if, if that makes any sense. This, on the other... It's like, no. Um, yeah, Netflix, uh, you did me wrong with that one. I will say, though, same week, I also watched the movie Incantation that they put on there. It's, uh, I believe it's Taiwanese or Korean. I, I should have actually checked that first. But anyways, <laughs> uh, I will say that was a good movie. Uh, that that was Netflix doing horror right. Um, unfortunately, Resident Evil just didn't work. And you're probably wondering, so why the delay again? Like, honestly, what's going on this year? Seems like I'll do so many episodes and then, boom, I go a month and then you don't hear from me. So I'll make this really long story really short. 
I have mentioned on the show before that I was kind of having some throat problems and no, it wasn't COVID. So (laughs) sort of funny, sort of not. Think of George W. Bush when he choked on a pretzel. Okay. So back December of 2021, we had movie night with a couple of friends. We watched some Christmas horror movies and stuff like that. We ate some pizza. Pizza had that shredded pepperoni on it. Well, I kind of choked on one. Pretty badly, actually, and I didn't think anything of it because you choke on food. Sometimes it happens, you know, you drink something, you wash it down, and yay, you're all good again. Well, that wasn't necessarily the case for me. Uh, Apparently, I bruised something pretty bad in my throat, and so every time I kept having these hiatuses where it was like I wasn't podcasting for a while, it was because I was afraid of doing more damage. Um... And it's kind of weird. It's sort of like some of you may have this where like if you get an injury that's sort of bad, whenever the weather changes, it's like it's it's almost like it's your own like weather barometer because it'll tell you like bad weather is coming and you're like, fuck my goddamn wrist or something like that. You know what I mean? Well, with me, it was my throat. So when the weather would get cooler, I would have throat problems. When the weather would get warmer, I would have throat problems. The temperature this year has fluctuated constantly. It's like right now we're in the middle of a heat spell, but now that's supposed to dissipate for a couple of days, but then we could be back up in like the, you know, 30s and 40s. For those of you in the United States that don't know Celsius, we're talking 90s and 100s. So um, anyways, yes. So this problem has been afflicting me for some time. And finally, it seems like it's cleared up. That's been the problem of, you know, for me this year, and a lot of people, right, like I said, everyone automatically jumps to COVID when you say you have a throat problem. No, for me, it was, I choked on a pepperoni. And that's the kind of episode we're going to be having this week. Welcome back, everyone, to What Lurks Lurks Behind Behind Podcast Podcast Zero. And yes, episode 126 is finally happening. Not the way I intended it originally i i'm trying to work on something right now and i've never done it before so i keep starting it and it's not sounding right so i keep stopping it is basically i'm gonna be doing my own audio commentary for a movie i've never done this before is i want to try and do my own little like mystery science theater kind of thing where i sort of heckle the movie but talk about it at the same time and stuff like that and the movie at hand is night of the living dead It's a movie I know very well, so it's easy for me to pick on. It's easy for me to love. It's easy for me to interject little jokes and stuff like that. Problem is, is that when I start it, I keep hitting that point where it's like, "Ah, fuck, it just doesn't sound right. So I stop it. So episode 126 is another movie review, but it's one that I didn't plan on until August 1st. When I realized it was the anniversary of this movie and I was like, I've been hinting for a while that I was going to do this movie. And I'm like, what better time to do it than, you know, when it had its anniversary. So for episode 126, we are going to be talking about Howard the Duck. And you're like, fuck my life. Are you kidding me? This is the movie he's going with. Yes. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, and unfortunately with this movie, there is a few passings, uh, a couple people from the, the project passed away within time. So I'll be talking about that. Um, 
Recently, though, uh, since I last talked to you guys, we had three pretty big deaths that happened that I actually wanted to give sort of nods to uh, all three of them. The first one being David Warner, who was in films like The Omen and Waxwork. He passed away at the age of 80. A few days after that, it was, or actually, it might have even been the next day, it was Paul Servino, who, he's in one of my favorite 80s flicks, The Stuff. Uh, he played the colonel in that. Um, anyways, he passed away at the age of 83. Most recently, though, and this one kind of burned me a little just because of how much I love this movie, Clue uh, Juliger. I've always pronounced it Gulliger. Apparently, I found out his last name is pronounced Juliger. So, Clue Juliger uh, from films like A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Dead. And, of course, The Return of the Living Dead. He played Bert. Um, he passed away at the age of 93. Uh, that one kind of burned me. And don't get me wrong. I mean, 93, full life and such a legacy he left behind. He was a TV actor, did tons of movies and stuff like that. But at the same time, like, because Return of the Living Dead is such a uh, film that's so close to me and close to my heart, it was like, oh, man, we lost another one from that movie. And so it sort of burned me a little, but it is what it is. On a more brighter note, though, um... Like I said, we had San Diego Comic-Con. We've had some different conventions happen and whatnot. A few announcements that have come out uh, in turn, like um, Netflix. Netflix and R.L. Stein both confirmed there will be more Fear Street movies. And I am A-OK with that because fuck those. <laughs> the first three movies were awesome. Uh, what, 1994, 1978, and 1666. Loved all three of those films. So I... I if we're getting more of that, I am totally on board with that. Um, Chucky Season 2, we got the announcement for the premiere date, which is October 5th on USA and Sci-Fi, or <clears throat> Cough Cough the Internet. <laughs> Plus, there's other ways to watch it, obviously. In Canada, I believe it's Showcase that carries it. So, I mean, there are ways that you don't have to go through that internet way. But you know what I'm saying, though. Like, this is that era where, like, something premieres and within five minutes it's everywhere and it's not hard to find um with uh, the mention of fear street we know with fear street a few of the stranger things actors have been involved with those i do kind of wonder if ben wolfhard would be one of them uh and the reason i bring him up is because he's currently putting together his own horror movie it's kind of cool actually uh the movie's called hell of a summer and apparently so this is kind of the interesting thing I guess he's really selling it very well because there's really not a synopsis yet and yet he's already got people cast for the movie so he's doing things a little unorthodox but I'm not going to complain if the movie comes out and it's great I'm all for it Um, also I thought this was kind of cool something worth mentioning because I don't think I've mentioned it on the show before Uh, you guys all do remember that movie called Orphan from way back when well we're getting a sequel to it called Orphan First Kill and Esther is returning uh, but it's going to be streaming on Paramount Plus as of August 19th so it's coming soon and what else we got a trailer for Spirit Halloween the movie it's a horror film for a younger generation gateway horror flick I actually saw a grown adults complaining that it didn't look scary I'm like does everything have to appeal to grown 50 year old men like for fuck's sakes 
Can't Kids Have Something Too? Which, by the way, I'm going to throw this announcement out there. This is from me regarding my podcast. Because this October, okay, remember last year I did the Universal Monsters theme for the month of October and I did different films and whatnot. That was a lot of fun. As a matter of fact, it was also my most successful month of podcasting ever since I've joined this network. So, and ever in my podcasting career, I might even add. So I'm doing that again, but I'm not doing Universal movies this year. This year, I'm doing family-friendly movies, and you're like, oh, no, no, he's not going to. Yes, I am. Um, so, yeah, the theme for this year, uh, for October, will be gateway horror, or family-friendly horror, or spooky spectacles made specifically for kids. Because you know what? Like, honestly, a lot of these kids' movies are really good. And I know, yeah, you'll see the gripey old 50-year-old men on there, you know. Mm, this doesn't appeal to me. Well, then don't fucking watch it. Like, I mean, seriously. Um, I, I don't get this bit of when we have a certain target audience. It's like everyone else feels like, oh, I've been left out. But then when you talk about inclusive, in, inclusivity in films, people get butthurt about that too and go, oh, here we go, checking off boxes. I admit certain... Things that I see within movies and TV shows where it blatantly is checking off boxes, yeah, it bothers me too. But that being said, it's also not something where I'm like, okay, this TV show Gotham Knights that's coming to CW does not appeal to me at all. Am I going to watch it and then complain about it? No, because I already know it's not. I'm not the target audience for that. So I'm not going to watch it, and I'm not going to put it down. If, if somebody watches it and says, hey, it was my jam, then it appealed to them. You know what I'm saying? Like... Yeah, <laughs> so anyways, October this month, and hopefully by then I'll be podcasting back on a normal basis. Um, yes, yeah, so we're going to be doing some family-friendly family horror and whatnot. You're looking at movies like Paranorman, Goosebumps, and I'm toying with the idea of doing one movie. I really don't want to, but I might do it just because it'll fit. It'll be such a shocker, no one will have seen it coming probably just gave it away by saying that but anyways uh another announcement lastly a new series called hysteria is coming to peacock i love how nowadays it's not it, they're not going to channels anymore they're going to streaming services but anyways um one of the top selling points of this series which is why it caught my attention is the whole hilarity that was the satanic panic thing the the whole movement in the 80s you know when all rock bands were satanic and would bring upon the devil to steal all the little kitties away with his temptation and malice oh my god save the children praise jeebus um yeah okay anyways all of that <laughs> <laughs> apparently is what this series will use as a theme. Uh, the show's called Hysteria, as I mentioned, which is also a famous Def Leppard album, I might add. But um, it's going to be a series about a high school heavy metal band that tries to use their town's current obsession with that silly movement uh, to their advantage. And then apparently things will start to get weird in their own town. And so it sounds like it might have sort of that whole trick or treat vibe from 1986. Bring back Ozzy. Let's do it. Um, I'd be totally cool with some cameos in this series, you know, or, um, get members from like ghost or twin temple. Um, Okay, Twin Temple wouldn't fit because they're more of like that 1950s satanic band that you never thought existed, but they do. They're also my latest obsession, but that's besides the point. Um, 
it probably wouldn't fit in this because, like I said, 50s and, you know, we're dealing with 80s. But, like, you got Ghost. Ghost definitely has sort of like that that 80s sound to their music. So bring them in, you know, and bring back Ozzy, like I said, you know, just keep the bats away from him. That's all that say about that. Okay, so quickly, before I jump into this week's movie, I did mention that I'd watched a couple movies in my time of absence and there's a couple I just want to quickly highlight on, three in particular. So first off, Prey. And yes, okay, so I have mentioned on social media that Prey went to Disney+, Plus and some people felt the need to correct me. So let me explain. Here in Canada, it's on Disney+. Plus. We have this, we have this thing on our Disney+, Plus called Star, which is all the 20th Century Fox adult stuff and all that. It's all the mature stuff and shit like that is on that. In the States, you guys have Hulu, and I understand that. But here in Canada, we have Disney+, Plus that incorporates a lot of Hulu stuff on there. So yes, in the United States, Prey was released on Hulu. Here in Canada, Disney+. Plus. And I know there's been a lot of hate for this movie on the internet. I've seen a lot of shit mentioned. I think people forget to ha- how to actually just enjoy movies. Uh, everyone watches them thinking they're next Roger Ebert or Leonard Malton. I mean, says the guy who podcasts about movies, you know. But the thing is, is that I do it with a sense of sarcasm and unimportance. I don't think my I don't think my opinion means shit, honestly. I just talk about movies. I'm also not some far-right, like, radical nut job who takes himself way too seriously. I'm not far-left either, but it's just... I just talk movies because I like talking about them. And at the end of the day, my opinion's only my opinion. That's it. End of story. As for the actual movie... uh, Sorry about the sidetrack. But anyways, uh, definitely enjoyable. I love Prey. I think it's a great flick. Is it far-fetched? I mean, I saw people commenting about a small little girl who can fight up against this big predator. Is it far-fetched? Yes. Absolutely. But so is the idea of some predatory alien coming to Earth and killing anything in sight. Hello? Think about this for a second. Where's the problem? Okay, do you honestly think some fucking alien comes down here and starts skinning snakes and shit like that? No. So, so I'm like, I, I'm seeing these comments online where people are like, oh, here they go. They're making some little girl really, really tough. Um, yeah, we've been doing this since Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay, like piss off. And besides, like I said, the whole idea of the movie is a far-fetched idea. So, so what if you have this really badass chick fighting a predator? What's wrong with it? I don't have a problem with it. Um... The story goes quick. Uh, it's very easy to follow along with. There's no there's no complex subplots here. The acting's decent. And it's a Predator movie. It's pretty straight fucking forward. I don't understand the problem. I do not get why people are tearing something that's simple like this apart. Honestly, I think this is probably the third best movie in the whole fucking enchilada. <laughs> Like, aside from Predator 1 and 2, this is my next favorite one. Like, I loved it. And I'll admit, the movie gets two bonus points for the dog. The dog is fucking awesome. And by the way, uh, was it Fangoria, I think, put out an article just recently uh, with the cast and crew talking about the movie Prey? Read the story about the dog. It's so heartwarming to think that, like, oh, fuck it, I'll spare you reading the article. They got a rescue dog to play that role. Like, that is... It's, it, I was fucking touched. I'm like, okay, I don't give a shit if 
you know, this movie is a little wacky and whatnot. You gave a rescue dog a, a, a purpose in life by casting him onto this movie. I'm fucking touched, man. I loved it. And the dog's awesome in the movie as well. The whole movie, I'm like, don't kill the dog. Don't kill the dog. <laughs> You're killing other animals. Leave the dog alone. Um, like I said, not it's not as good as the first two movies. Predator 1 and 2 are always going to be my favorites. But no one should be asking this movie to be better anyways. Just sit back and go for the fucking ride. And that's that. Next up, nope. And I'm talking about the movie, not I'm not I'm not saying I'm gonna, you know, walk away from it. I'm talking about the movie. Nope. Justin Peel's what, third flick now? In my opinion, he's three for three. Uh I'm okay. I know Nia DaCosta was the reason behind Candyman and she was the director and all that sort of stuff. But he produced that as well. So I kind of call him four for four on films because everything he's released has been great. I love Get Out. Get Out's a great flick. Us gorgeously creepy flick and technically my favorite of his films but now we got nope a sci-fi thriller that gives a nod to the old flying saucer flicks from the 50s and 60s and at the same time as jordan peele does he has a little message within his film get out and us did the exact same thing if you actually think about it there was there was some messages being told but he doesn't hammer them down our throats and with this one, it's a, it's about the state of humanity. It's about the give and take from nature and whatnot. That's all in there. It's really awesome. The movie is visually immaculate. It's got a really cool premise for a spaceship. I was like, I didn't see that coming. Uh, <laughs> but it made sense once I saw it. I was like, hmm, all right. I know why you did that, but I didn't see that coming. Um, Kiki Palmer, she's uh, our female protagonist. Uh, she's actually the star of this movie. Um, Daniel Kaluuya, he's really solid as well, but she's just a little bit better. Uh, Steven Yun is in this as well, and uh, he's always great. I never have a problem with him. Uh, And not to mention, in this film, we get Michael Wincott coming back. You know, good old top dollar from The Crow. I was glad to see him back in acting and when I know he hasn't stopped acting, but it was nice to see him in this um, very entertaining flick uh, runs about two hours and 15 minutes long. I think I really didn't feel that long. I've seen some people expected a full blown horror film and yeah, maybe the trailer led us to believe that a little bit, but that's not the case. There's definitely moments of suspense and tension, a little bit of horror involved, But honestly, it's more like an extended episode of The Twilight Zone, which we all know Jordan Peele did. He did episodes of The Twilight Zone. So I kind of got why this movie happened. And it is packed with a lot of science fiction in this movie. Yes, Us is without a doubt my favorite Jordan Peele flick. But this one's definitely worth the viewing. It still was worth it. I did not have a problem with it. So there was that. The Black Phone. I saw that one. Uh, Ethan Hawke. God damn this man. He, I, I don't think he's. I don't think he knows how to do a bad role. I'm sure he's had some, but fuck. Uh, I, Black Phone. Solid flick based on the short story by Joe Hill, who's Stephen King's son. Uh, like I said, great acting from Ethan Hawke. It's got decent pacing, nice use of tension, really good use of tension. Um, awesome score by Mark Corbin. I see now why Waxwork Records uh, backed this one and released it. Uh, the kids in the film are really great too. It's more of a thriller than a horror movie though. 
again, I think some people, well, mo- here's the thing. A lot of people hype this movie up to be like movie of the year. I didn't get that from it. It's kind of like with X. It's not that it's a bad movie and I actually enjoy the flicks. I just don't get the over the top hype about it. Um, but I will say with the Blackbone there, and I'm not going to spoil this, but there is one specific sort of nod or Easter egg, you might call it, to Stephen King's It. And my God, when it happened, I was like, I'm smiling at this. Like, it was awesome. Um, I, like I said, I don't want to spoil it, but it's there. If you haven't seen this movie, definitely check it out. Uh, check out all three. Check out Prey. Check out Nope. And check out the Black Phone. All three are currently either available on streaming or in theaters. And you have to see them. I'm also going to quickly say, I'm not going to talk a whole lot about it, but there's a documentary you need to watch as well called This Is Guar. And it's on Shudder. Fantastic documentary about the band, how the idea of Guar was supposed to be a movie and not a band. All the behind the scenes camaraderie and the drama that came with that band, but mostly how it was about the music and the effects. It's fucking great. You have to check it out. I am now done talking about everything else that is not Howard the Duck. It is now time. Now we are finally taking a trip back to 1986, Cleveland, (laughs) when the Indians were still the Indians and not the Guardians. When young boys in their preteens and teens were in love with Leah Thompson. I have no clue why. Uh, We are going back to a time when George Lucas thought a movie about a talking duck would make a great passion project. He was talking about this well back at the days of American Graffiti. I mean, this was something he wanted to do for a while. And this is also back to a time before Marvel became a fucking household chore to keep up with. Like... (sighs) Marvel is exhausting these days. But anyways, this is all before that. We are going to travel to the far reaches of Duck World. And Howard Howard. the Duck. Trailer time out, kids. Then back in a quack? Across the sea of stars lies another world. A world almost exactly like ours. This is where he lives. He's 27 years old, single but searching. Favorite sports, windsurfing and Aikido. Favorite pastimes, cigars and sex. He has everything except fulfillment. And then one night, it happens. Hey, good buddy, are you home? He has a very sudden midlife crisis. He lands in Cleveland. You do know why you were sent to me? Listen to me, small visitor. I can explain how you got here. Maybe you're here for some greater purpose, some cosmic cause. Here, he's forced to reassess his career goals. You went to med school? To explore new relationships. (laughs) To redefine his self-image. I'm sorry, we don't allow pets on the premises. To adjust to a changing lifestyle. I pull it up! Until he discovers just who he really is. A duck in big trouble. That's a duck, man. Howard the Duck, trapped in a world he never made. Coming from George Lucas, a Willard Hike film, a Gloria Katz production. All right, welcome back, quackers. I know, I always call you guys lurkers, but this time I'm calling you quackers because we're staying within the duck theme, okay? 
And just quickly before we get into this review, I should say something because if anyone was wondering if I'll be talking about the new Netflix series, The Sandman, no, not this week. Uh, I haven't personally taken it in myself yet, so I can't spoil anything for you because I haven't seen it yet. So anyways, won't be talking about Sandman this week. Possibly next episode, I might jump into it a bit, but right now you're good. If you haven't watched it yet, don't worry about it. Off to Duck World, guys. Or Cleveland. Home of the Guardians. yeah. You know, this is a little side note. Uh, I'm old school. They're still the Cleveland Indians to me. I don't know that anyone was actually really offended by that name. Maybe they were. And maybe it's, you know, my own ignorance that I didn't realize that. But I've always known them as the Cleveland fucking Indians. Like. Even Major League, man. Like, Wild Thing and shit. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's like in football. Washington Redskins are now the Washington Commanders. And, I don't know. Redskins, okay, maybe I can understand that one. Cleveland Indians, I didn't... I don't know. I don't see where the problem was with that one. And like I said, it's probably my own ignorant white man fucking views on the world but it just I didn't see that that one needed to change but I don't know whatever I don't know it's the world we live in I'd rather live on duck world man what were, what were some of the references fuck there well there was uh what was it uh, uh play duck instead of playboy I can't remember what the there was the Indiana Jones one but I can't remember what the fuck it said on the poster. It was it was a duck reference. Uh, there was some fun shit like that. Anyways, Howard the Duck was released August 1st, 1986. And I did talk about the fact that August 1st was its anniversary, which is what caused me to watch it and think about it. And I was like, I'm reviewing this movie because I've been saying I've been gonna, I'm just going to do it for all this time. And not to mention, it's sort of a nice segue from Mad God. Because Mad God was done by Bill Tippett, who did special effects in this movie. So, hey, it all comes around full circle. Howard the Duck was directed by Willard Hike. He also directed films like Messiah of Evil, but I think he only had, like, what was it, four directing credits? He didn't have a lot, four or six or something like that. He did Messiah of Evil, but he was more known for his writing, um, in which he, he wrote screenplays for movies like American Graffiti uh, and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. As I was just talking about the whole Indiana Jones thing in Duck World. He wrote the screenplay for the Temple of Doom. Which I know some people really say is a really, really bad movie. I like it. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark is still my favorite. Blasphemy because everybody thinks Last Crusade is the best one ever. Which it is good. I'm not saying it's not. But anyways. Back to Howard. Uh, so the movie, the screenplay was written by Willard Hike along with his wife, Gloria Katz. She also helped produce the film. Uh, the idea for Howard the Duck is based on the Marvel Comics character that was done by Steve Gerber and artist Val Mayerick. Uh, they created Howard in 1973 in Marvel's Adventure into Fear, uh, number 19. Uh, Howard was a secondary character to Marvel's Man-Thing, which is like Marvel's version of Swamp Thing, so... 
comics, man. You got. I love the whole comparisons between DC and Marvel. Sometimes it's kind of funny. Anyways, Howard the Duck number one though uh, came out in December of was it December of nineteen seventy? It was in nineteen seventy six. I think it was December, but I could be wrong about that. Like I said, produced by Gloria Katz. She was also joined by George Lucas, who is an executive producer on the whole Howard the Duck thing. Now. Uh, Gloria worked with Willard actually quite often on a lot of the same projects like American Graffiti and Messiah of Evil, which makes sense. They were married, right? So, I mean, obviously they worked together. She passed away, though, in 2018 at the age of 76, where he's still alive today. So he, she lives through him still. Um, cinematography was done by Richard Klein. Richard H. Klein, actually, is, how he went, is what he went by. Um, worked on classics like Soylent Green. Uh, the Andromeda Strain, and King Kong from 1976. He also worked on Star Trek The Motion Picture. I know, not the greatest, but worth mentioning. Uh, The Man with One Red Shoe, My Stepmother is an Alien, and Double Impact. Uh, And he passed away in 2018 at the age of 91. As I mentioned earlier, special effects and stop motion work was done by Bill Tippett, who is the man behind the topic of last episode's review of Mad God. So I talked a lot about him on that episode. I felt really shouldn't have to talk too much about him this week. Same with our music composer, John Barry. Uh, I've talked about him on episodes, uh, what films did I do? Star Crash and The Black Hole. So I've talked about him before, like 132 composer credits, 156 music credits in film altogether uh he passed away in 2011 at the age of 77 now the thing to note about howard the duck though is some of his music for this movie was actually replaced by score elements written by sylvester sylvester LeBay. Uh, primarily the scene where howard and phil are flying that plane like contraption uh, what do they call it the ultralight or whatever uh to get away from the police that music there apparently is not John Barry's. It was done by Sylvester LeBay. Plus, I guess there's other musical cues and whatnot that were done by Sylvester. Now, as for the songs in the film that are performed by Cherry Bomb, they were written by Thomas Dolby, and the vocals were done by Leah Thompson. Which is interesting, because Leah has actually come out and said, at the time, the filmmakers weren't even sure they were going to keep her voice, even as as far into the process as like the final like edits um they did end up keeping her voice in there i I think it's good that they did she can sing it maybe not perfectly but then again cherry bomb is supposed to be a punk band and i don't want to sound mean or anything when i say this but punk bands are not necessarily known for great vocals they're not alexandra james okay like And I bring her up because, like I said, I've been listening to a lot of Twin Temple lately. But she's got some banging fucking vocals, but she's doing a different style of music. Punk music, on the other hand, a lot of the times you get Johnny Rotten-like vocals. And, I mean, they're not... You're not going to put Johnny Rotten in a song with fucking, like, Luciano Pavarotti. You know what I mean? So, the idea that Leah Thompson's voice wasn't perfect, but, again, she's... you know, a, a, a female punk rocker that plays these sleazy bars. It makes sense. Leave her voice as it was. It, it actually seemed more natural. I, I'm talking natural in a movie about a talking duck. But anyways, 
And while we're at it, let's actually get into the cast. Uh, so the cast of this film, starring cast. Yeehaw, let's talk about these people. Um, I handpicked. Because <laughs> there's a lot of credits to this movie, and I was like, okay, I just need the main ones. So that's basically what I did. Let's start with Howard. Howard is actually a lot of people. I think by the time you're done actually adding all the the components up between the puppeteers, the actual actors, the voice and everything. I think it was something like 11 or 13 people involved with bringing Howard to life inside the suit. We had two actors, basically Ed Gale, who was our older actor and Jordan Prentice, who was the younger one. Um, so Ed, he was also in movies like Spaceballs, uh, Phantasm two and Bill and Ted's bogus journey. And Jordan Prentice, he was a young, as a matter of fact, I believe at the time, he was born in 73 and they were filming this in 85 and 86, if I remember correctly. So we're looking at about like 12, 13 years old. He was still technically, you know, a younger kid. Um, he had a harder time in the suit. So Ed did a lot of the performance, but Jordan did some of it. Um, and Jordan, uh, he did this and then he wouldn't do another acting gig until 10 years later when he had a few appearances on the Goosebumps uh, television series. Now, Ed, like I said, was on Spaceballs Phantasm. He was doing other stuff where Jordan had about a 10-year break where he wasn't acting. But again, he was a young kid, probably still in school, graduating and whatnot. And, you know, ever since then, like, you know, 10 years after that, when he started acting again, he's added 37 acting credits to his resume. So... It's kind of cool. I mean, but I get it. And when he was he was younger, he he was a smaller kid. Well, I mean, they they had to get smaller people for this role, obviously. And I mean, Jordan was young and it worked. But Ed Ed technically is Howard. Let's put it that way. I I, I wanted to give a nod to Jordan, but Ed basically is our Howard the Duck. As for the voice, though, that's Chip Zine. Or is is it Zion or Zine? It's spelled Z-I-E-N, and I think it's Zine. Um, notable TV actor. He's done a lot of TV work, but he had also been involved with films like United 93 and Snake Eyes with Nick Cage. Um, it, he's awesome. I think his voice really fit for this. I think some people... I know I, I've seen comments online. I didn't think this was actually a thing, but then I was seeing comments online. I'm like, all right, I guess it was. So there were some people that thought that Howard should sound like Donald Duck. And I'm like, no. As a matter of fact, now we have Seth Green doing it, and I think Seth does a great job as well. So I, I don't know. Let's move past Howard. Now let's get into our, our humans, the human, the humans of the movie being Leah Thompson. Yeah, Leah Thompson. Um, <laughs> as a young kid, uh, in the 80s, when Leah Thompson was in movies like Back to the Future, Space Camp, Some Kind of Wonderful, yeah, she might have caught the eyes of a lot of us preteens and teenage boys. I think one of my friends, uh, Keith, actually mentioned about um, the fact that he still has a thing for her. And yeah, I'm, I see it. <laughs> um but yeah, she's Beverly Switzer. She, is it Switz, Switzler? Switzler? Um, we know her as Bev. 
Beverly. Uh, anyways, she was in this. She's also been in films like uh, Dennis the Menace and The Little Rascals. Um, and she was what a lot of people know her from, actually, is she was the title character of the hit TV series Caroline in the City. As a matter of fact, I think it's even Dennis Leary who used to make comments about that. So she's an attractive woman that plays this role great. But it's it's also... It's kind of funny because, and I, the documentary that comes on the Howard the Duck DVD that I have, or sorry, Blu-ray that I have, um, she kind of made mention of something that it was like, I never thought of that before. But anyway, she was talking about like during the years of doing Back to the Future and Howard the Duck, how they were a weird time in her career. Something that younger me didn't catch, but older me is like, oh yeah, I guess that would kind of be weird. You got one film where she's falling in love with her on-screen son. She doesn't realize he's her son, but she's falling in love with her son. And then she follows it up with a movie that has her falling in love with a talking duck. And I never thought about that before until I was watching this. Like It's like a a behind-the-scenes documentary about half hour long on the Blu-ray. And I'm like, ah, that would be weird. (laughs) And of course, like she said... You know, she knew that she was sort of like the sex appeal at the time. She was, you know, attractive and obviously, you know, teenage boys were really being attracted to her. And here she is playing these weird roles. So it's like, yeah, I guess that would be weird. Anyways, moving on to Tim Robbins as Phil. Uh, Yeah, he's gone on. He's a big name these days isn't he uh he's and he has been for some time he's merlin from the original top gun um but he went on to do a lot of huge films a bull durham jacob's ladder green lantern yeah i was throwing that one in there there was no way i wasn't (laughs) i know everyone's like you seriously went there yes i did he was in green lantern uh he was in war of the worlds Okay, we'll go back to the good shit. He was in Mystic River. He was in Castle Rock. And of course, you guys think I'm ignoring this one, but I'm not. The Shawshank Redemption. Yes, he's Andy Dufresne. Fucking Andy Dufresne. Come on. Shawshank Redemption is one of the greatest movies of our time. Okay? Of all time. And he's in it. Like, I... And stirred it off as Phil, you know, who at one point he even does a Donald Duck impression. It's kind of funny, but I mean, yeah, he started off here. He ended, he didn't end up there, but he got to there like that. It's, it's awesome. Moving on to Walter Jennings, who was played by Jeffrey Jones. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here because I have in the past. I've talked about him during the Transylvania 65,000 episode and the Beetlejuice episode that I did. I think that was three years ago I did that one. Uh, and considering he's also in films like Sleepy Hollow and The Devil's Advocate, I'm pretty sure this is not going to be the last time I'll be talking about him. But I will say he's awesome in this. And yeah, like I said, and I said it during the Transylvania 65,000 episode. I'm, I, I'll quickly note it again. I know off screen there's some shit with this dude. I'm not worried about that. Yeah, maybe I should be, but I'm not because his performance in this movie is fucking brilliant. Okay. That's all I have to say. And we'll move on to Liz Seagal as Ronette. It's kind of a smaller role in this film, but there's a reason why I brought her up. 
Uh, she acted in Grease 2 as well, and the movie Flashdance. Oh, what a feeling. Yeah, that one. Well, you guys mostly know the song Maniac. But anyways, I bring her up more for the fact of her producing and writing credits. That in it, They include TV series hits like Sons of Anarchy and Cowboy Bebop. I bring up Sons of Anarchy because for the past three months I've actually been chopping off that that show doing a rewatch of it and i hadn't watched it since it last aired and here in canada it's on disney plus so i've been just quietly chopping off the seasons and i have one episode left i'm finally at the season finale or series finale i should say um i did notice this time around though it's kind of interesting when you watch a show on tv as it's airing and it's week to week and stuff like that I think we kind of, we don't notice all the annoying aspects or we notice them, but they don't bother us as much doing a blitz where I've been knocking off episodes, like chunks of episodes at a time. I find some of these characters really fucking annoying. (laughs) And it's like, it was a struggle at times to get through these, these seasons. I never realized, and and don't get me wrong. I love Katie Seagal. I think she is one of, she's one of the greatest TV act actresses we have. Like, Peg Bundy, man, and she fucking, she epitomized that character. But not even just that. She's done a lot of shit. She was, uh, what was that? Uh, the uh, the one with John Ritter and Kaylee Cuoco. Oh, shit. It was uh, The rules to my step, oh, what the fuck was it? I can't remember. what Seven rules something for my stepdaughter or my daughter, dating my daughter or something. I don't remember what the fucking title was, but I remember watching the series and she was awesome in it. <laughs> it was pretty bad. Anyways. I never realized how much I can't stand her character on Sons of Anarchy, which I have talked about this. It's a good thing. She acts it out well, but by the time you got to season six and season seven, her character is pretty much pointless. And they really dragged out the whole, oh my God, she killed Jax's wife. Spoilers. She killed Jax's wife and Jax thought it was Chinese and he went after them and this and that. It gets stretched out too long and watching it again, I was like, this this show's not going to age well. But that said, I still do love it and I've enjoyed it. And Liz Seagal was a writer and producer on that series, as well as Cowboy Bebop, which did really well for Netflix this this past year as well. So thought I'd bring that up. Moving on to Holly Robinson as KC. She's another of the um, the bandmates uh, to um, Beverly. And I bring her up because she played a role in several different shows she was officer judy hops in both the original tv series of 21 jump street and the remake film and on top of that she was also in the spinoff from 21 jump street the show booker so that was that's probably where most people know holly from but she got her start here uh in howard the duck most of her career after howard though was on tv whether being in series or tv movies Two left to go, guys, and then we're moving on to the meat of the review. Tommy Swerdlow as Ginger Moss. Uh, he was also in Spaceballs, and he was Jack Santos in Child's Play. Uh, Mike Norris's uh, partner, he was in that. He was also in Hamburger Hill. And Richard Edson as Richie, who was also in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Platoon, Good Morning Vietnam, Super Mario Brothers. He was Spike... He was in the movie Strange Days, and recently he was in Rob Zombie's Three from Hell. 
I will also note, completely uncredited and a little trivia fact for some of you, there was a much music VJ back in the day known as Christopher Ward. He also has a cameo in this film. And it's nowhere on the internet. It disgusts me because as every time I see him, I'm like, he went to much music. That's so fucking... He's like, he was from much music. And there's no mention of it on the internet, and I feel it is absolutely a travesty, so I mention it here. The movie, Howard the Duck, was rated PG for sex and duck nudity. Sit on that for a few moments. Some violence and language, as well as dialogue that could insinuate bestiality. Yes, kids, it's that kind of movie. The runtime is an hour and 50 minutes long. The budget was between 30 to 37 mil, give or take. Box office gross was $38 million. The synopsis for Howard the Duck is like this. In this film, based on the Marvel comic book character, Howard the Duck is suddenly beamed from Duck World, a planet of intelligent ducks with arms and legs, to Earth where he lands in Cleveland. There he saves rocker Beverly from thugs and forms a friendship with her. She introduces him to Phil, who works at a lab with scientist Dr. Jenning. And when the doctor attempts to return Howard to his world, Jenning instead transfers an evil spirit into his own body. And I'm calling this segment Worst Film of All Time? Oh, I know. Okay. <laughs> this movie has been on the butt end of so many jokes, ridicules, Razzie Awards. It won four out of the seven it was nominated for. Um, people love to hate this fucking movie. <laughs> My question is, but why? It's almost as bad as people complaining that a small girl there's no way she could take on a predator, but the idea of a predator or Howard the Duck being real existing is already a far-fetched, so why the hate? Okay, so when it comes to Howard the Duck, and I approach this review differently, because I know there's a ton of trivia around the film, about the multiple actors who played inside the duck suit, as well as the puppeteers, the debate of whether this should have been animated versus live-action. There's a whole discussion about that. There's the fact that George Lake, George Lucas hates this movie, um, but it was the project he was so passionate about before it failed in the theaters. I mean, he was like I said, the ideas were already coming to him to do this movie during his days of American Graffiti. The fact that people thought that this was meant to be a kid's movie when it was quite raunchy and anything but a kid's movie, but maybe that's based on the promotion. I mean, like, the trailers... I. I don't know, there's that... I played the sound clip at the very beginning of the episode where you hear Beverly talking almost seductively about running her fingers through his feathers. I guess that should have tipped people off, but it didn't. And I mean, critics mostly hate this movie. Many fans followed as well. I know it has a cult following now, but it didn't in the beginning. And my question is, why? I get that many may have not known about the comics beforehand, maybe. Maybe that's what it is. Or maybe they didn't know just how ludicrous and crass the source material was prior to seeing this movie. But we're talking about a fucking talking duck in Cleveland. Cleveland, whatever you want to fucking call it. What kind of realism did you think you were getting with this movie? 
that I, why I <laughs> I don't get it. We're okay with the whole fucking MCU, but this movie got fucking slam basted. The movie's been criticized for mediocre performances, uneven tone, crappy special effects. Gene Siskel said the effects were less impressive than a sparkler on a birthday cake. Funny, I don't see him doing any fucking better special effects on any movie, but hey, I digress. Some have said this movie is just stupid and pointless, and there was no need for the sexual innuendo, and that it should have been rated PG-13 or higher. Can I just state... The PG, those initials, stand for parental guidance. It's not a free-for-all family film that has nothing controversial in its runtime. Parental guidance just means parents should be aware that their children are watching this movie. Maybe do a a quick watch-through before letting your kids watch it. Keep in mind their age versus the movie they're watching. I don't know. Keep it in mind. That's all I'm saying. People, I think, they, they, they treat PG movies like they're supposed to be like G movies. You know, it's, it's like, no, it's not. There's still a parental involvement needed with a PG movie, all right? And I know you're thinking, I bet Postmortem's going to defend this movie. And you would be more than correct, good people. Because I'm going to break it down like this. Okay, we have number one. Number one, considering today's Marvel, their their complex and vast universe, this movie needs no homework. It's a one and done. It's watch it, enjoy it, and move on with your life. You don't need Black Panther, and you don't need Winter Soldier, and you don't need Guardians of the Galaxy, and you you don't even fucking need all the TV series. You don't need Loki and WandaVision and all that to enjoy. No. You watch the movie, it gives you your first act, your second act, your third act. It's goofy, it's crazy, and you can go on with your life. There's no connection to any other three-act filmography or film connection that I need to get through. You know, I, I don't have to watch 12 movies for a lead-up that could end up leading to five minutes in a current story shatting. That will cost me another $20 to see at the theater. And that's my thing, right? Like, don't get me wrong. I've enjoyed many of the Marvel films myself. Winter Soldier is still probably the best fucking Marvel movie I've ever seen in my life. Aside from maybe this. (laughs) And Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2 are absolute joys to me. Like, I love every second of them. But after so many years of this, I'm tired, Hoss. Like, honestly. Just give me Blade. Okay, and give me Into the Spider-Verse 2, and then cool your jets. Stop. I mean, they've got it already planned to fucking Phase 6. I'm not going to be alive to see Phase 6, okay? (laughs) I'm dying, okay? I'm dying inside, and you're asking more of me. It's like... (sighs) So I think that's what I... One of the, the, the appealing aspects of Howard the Duck is that I can watch it, it's over, it's done with. I don't need it connecting to anything else. Number two. It's a movie about a talking duck from another world landing in Cleveland and having to save the world from dark overlords from another world. Think about it for a minute. Does this sound like anything from a movie or from a movie like this that we are going to have a sense of realism? 
Okay, so let's stop acting so shocked that the movie went in places that it probably shouldn't have, but it did because it could. Okay, the whole idea of Beverly and Howard becoming something. Yeah, I know. Everyone's like, oh my God, this is fucking freaky and weird. And ugh, I, you know, I get the jitters. No, it's a dumb, straightforward story that. You know what the thing is? Is okay. You know yourself. People would go see this movie, right? And then when they'd walk out, let's say that whole aspect of Beverly and Howard didn't exist in this film. I guarantee you right now that people would be sitting on their lunch breaks, sitting around with their friends, having a few drinks, and they'd be talking about, I wonder what the movie would have been like if Beverly and Howard hooked up. So all the movie did was took what you would have talked about anyways and put it on the fucking screen for you and said, here, we'll answer your fucking question before you even ask it. That's what the movie did. A movie about a talking duck. Please stop looking for realism. Number three. Leah Thompson. Hello. Is her acting mediocre? Maybe. Maybe I shouldn't deny that fact. It's not great. It is over the top. Everybody's over the top in this fucking movie. But she was the cute it girl of that time. Back to the Future... And this came out so close. And back to the future, she won the hearts of millions. So why wouldn't they go with what's the hot girl right now? And I mean, you got to keep in mind, I mean, she beat out actresses like Phoebe Cates for this role. You know, Tori Amos tried her hand at it. Kim Basinger, Sarah Jessica Parker. These are, they're attractive women. They went with Leah Thompson and, she wasn't afraid to ham it up. She wasn't afraid to fall in love with a duck. So, hey, give it, give her props. I'm okay with it. I admit, I'm not going to lie. My curiosity's kind of peaked as to what Phoebe Cates would have fared like. Or Terry, Tori Amos. Tori Amos does not strike me as the type that would have been able to play this role. But what if she had one? Hmm, I wonder what that would have looked like. You know, I, she caught a little sneeze. I mean, it, I, I don't know. It it just, it's, Leah Thompson really helped sell this movie. Whether you want to admit it or not, at that time, you know, she, like I said, she, Back to the Future, this movie, uh, Some Kind of Wonderful, Casual Sex, all came out, I believe all four films came out without, within a two-year period. She was the it girl of that time. It worked. Number four. Point number four, Jeffrey Jones hams it up. He doesn't dial it up to 10 or 11. He goes right to fucking 100. His Jennings is awesome. And more so as the dark overlord that's inhabiting Jennings' body. I mean, I love his... His whole performance is just awesome. Um, I mean, he took the role and he ran with it and was not afraid to overact. I'm okay with the overacting. This whole movie is overacting. I mean, Tim Robbins' character is is overacting. I mean, so, again, crazy movie about a talking duck. I will keep hamming that point. I will keep hammering that point. Jeffrey Jones did the hamming. I'm doing the hammering. Okay, but, (laughs) yeesh, that didn't sound good. But anyways, that's what she said. Uh... I, I I don't know. It, it's just, it's so much fun to watch Jeffrey Jones do what he does in this movie. And then there's that scene with that tongue. <laughs> wow. Compensating for something. I don't know. Talk about getting a charge, but 
it's like that long tongue that just comes out and he needs power. So he jacks into the fucking car lighter, which I think cars these days don't even have those lighter ports anymore. I don't fucking know. I don't drive. Um, how would I know? Anyways, Jeffrey Jones, point number four, point number five. So let's talk about the duck. And I admit, okay, so the design of the character in his newer MCU appearances, you know, the one voiced by Seth Green, he's probably better looking than the original duck. I'm not going to lie, but this was 1986. We didn't have de-aging CGI to make Robert Downey Jr. look like he's, you know, Paul Rudd's age of never aging. You know what I mean? Like, we didn't have that yet. We didn't have that great CGI. Uh, CGI in, what, 1986 was Last Starfighter. Okay, it looked like an Atari game. Um, the, the fact that this is actors inside a suit with puppeteers controlling the facial movements as much as that movement might be lacking, but there's still something there. The lips are moving. There's still something to acknowledge here. And again, we're talking about a talking duck. I should have called this segment a talking duck, but anyways, let's keep things in perspective is what I'm saying. The duck for what they had to work with. And they, like I said, there was a whole argument back in the day about whether this should be animated or live action. They went live action. So they did what they could with what they had. And I think they made it work. I think it doesn't look horrible. And it definitely looks fucking creepy. And Leah Thompson's all over it. But again, like it's just, it's that kind of movie. Point number six the music written by Thomas Dolby. I'm not talking about the score. I'm talking about the songs, the, the popular, the, the catchy tunes that came from this, this movie that, you know, cherry bomb is the ones that are singing it and whatnot. The tunes are catchy, definitely representative of the 1980s. And the funny thing is, is that I caught comments and different reviews that were stating that the theme song for Howard, the duck was campy and stupid. Deep breath as I say this. Right. And the fact that a song called Ghostbusters by Ray Parker Jr. was any less campy. Sit with that for a minute. Okay. I, don't get me wrong. I love it. Ghostbusters is a fucking kicking jam. But it's still campy. What about Baltimore as Tarzan Boy? For those of you who really remember the 80s. It's the goddamn 80s, people. I mean, we lived for cheese in the 80s. <laughs> we really did, honestly. The 80s was the era for cheese, okay? Um, I don't know. It, Thomas Dolby, I thought he did a great job with the songs. There's even that one ballad. I can't remember the name of it, but the ballad that she's singing. Where, and then she's like, oh, this is just too depressing. I mean, it's totally an 80s ballad. You could hear Cyndi Lauper singing that song, okay? So it's like, I don't know. It, it just... When I see things in, and I did a lot of review reading, I did a lot of uh, like comments on the internet when I read a lot just to see, because I knew that this movie, even though it's a very polarizing flick, there's a lot of talk about this flick. And I, I was all over the place reading just everything. And some of the, some of the things I was just seeing, I'm like, we really went there. Like that's our complaints right now. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, Shark Exorcist. You watch that and then tell me that this is the worst movie ever. Number seven. So we have Phil Tippett's signature stop motion animation of the Dark Overlords. Now let me explain something here. Those things were fucking creepy and they were awesome. They appealed to every horror movie fan. Like we were like, oh. 
Those look awesome. Now, the idea of the Dark Roller Overlord is based on the character Thog of the Thog the Nether Spawn. Uh, it came from Man Thing comics. Uh, World of Sominus, I believe, is what it is. He's one of the Hell Lords or whatever. Now, Phil Tippett's version is actually more a lot like the Lovecraftian version of Thog the Ancient One than he is of the Marvel version. And even that, there was some, there was definitely some liberties taken there. But it works. I mean, these things, these Hell Lords, these Dark Overlords, whatever you want to call them, they look like a Predator Scorpion Cthulhu mashup that would have a Pee Wee's Playhouse quirky vibe with a dash of Large Marge. I know, I just threw like a whole shit of references at you. But it's like, it's it's kind of like they took all of that, threw it in a blender and said, here, here's your Overlords. And they're scary. They're creepy. They're fucking awesome. And again, Phil Tippett, like, Phil Tippett's stop motion animation actually is one of the things I've seen from this movie that does not get criticized. Um, so that's definitely respect given. You know what I mean? Uh, I know a lot of people took a lot of liberties with putting this movie down, but that's one area they do not. So props to all the critics and fans who have at least stood by Phil Tippett. Uh, number eight, finally. This is a movie from an easier time, kids. Well, we weren't so picky about what was said, by who it was said, or just what did they mean? How can we hashtag cancel it? The movie is raunchy and it's crude. Yep, absolutely. But at our core, so is humanity. Honestly, think about this. I mean, there's a, okay, there's a time to be serious and focus on changes that actually we do need to make. As a species, as a as, as a human race, yes. I'm not going to lie. There are things in this world that they do need to fucking change. But then there's also times where we need to just sit back and fucking enjoy things. Okay? This is, sort of, this is sort of way a fucking side note, but it's just to sort of highlight my point. This past weekend, the Mira Luna Festival returned to Germany. And I got to see a lot of it through YouTube. Uh, performances by Combi Christ, um, BNB Nation with a fucking symphony behind. Goosebumps for that one. That was fucking... Oh. I mean, even when you're watching a BNB Nation like performance and your lead singer, Ronin, is getting choked up talking because it's just such a powerful performance. It was that fucking good. Um, Bluton Gel or Bluton Gal, or however... I, I, I always say Bluton Gel, but I guess it's Bluton Gal. Um, they perform, but perform during the day. It's kind of weird. Spanned up there with all this vampiric lesbianism stuff going on, and it, it, the sun is shining on them. <laughs> it's like, whoa, it felt wrong. It's like, well, you couldn't save them for last? I don't know, whatever. Um, but yeah, so anyways, my point is, is that when I was looking out, they, they show a lot of the crowd and you see all different types of people. You saw straight, you saw gay, you saw black, white, like people of color, you saw goths, you saw Satanists, you saw normal, what people would call normal people, like, but all just having a good time, enjoying music, loving each other and stuff. And it's like, that is what. Film viewers should be doing just sit back and enjoy things sometimes and not everything has to have a fucking 
agenda to it. You don't have to watch everything being ready to tear it apart for what boxes they checked off and shit like that. I I said earlier, I notice it too sometimes, but I don't let it fucking ruin my life. This movie has duck tits, people. <laughs> like we honestly have a fucking duck in a bathtub and she's got breasts. We have Howard working at a sex spa with mud and people having extramarital affairs. Uh, we have duck condoms in this movie. And a sexy singer wearing almost nothing in front of a mallard as if it was normal. We have science to explain everything. Wait, let me crack myself. No, we don't have science in this. We have science fiction. As in fake, not real, fantasy make believe and why because it was from an easier time i know the 80s had its controversies i'm well aware of the cold war and shit like i was alive during then so trust me i know but this all takes me back to my original question why why so serious about this movie on rotten tomatoes the movie stands at a 14 percent approval rating Fuck you. On IMDb, it stands at a 4.7 out of 10. All right, I'll let that slide. <laughs> Leonard Moulton called the movie hopeless. Leonard Moulton needs to get eaten by more gremlins. Supposedly, this story made me laugh. So supposedly Universal executives Frank Price and Sidney Scheinberg got into a fistfight over who greenlit this movie in the first place. They both denied this fight actually happened. However, the reports that followed after speculated that both could lose their jobs from MCA Universal and Frank himself, Mr. Price, eventually just quit. And then I guess there was some headline about, headline about how the duck dunked Price or whatever. and Oh, whatever. Supposedly they were embarrassed by this movie. George Lucas is, apparently won't even talk about this movie. He's so embarrassed and disgusted by it. And it's like, why... Seriously, we're as fucking Heath as the Joker when you need him. Why so serious? Podcast zero rating. I'll make this easy. I'm not going to pound this one down your throats because that's all I've basically been doing for the last 40 some odd minutes. This is one of my all-time favorite Marvel movies, period. Yep. It's silly, it's goofy, and I don't have to do 13 years of homework to appreciate this one can just watch it and be on my way. Maybe nostalgia plays into it. Honestly, I'm not an idiot. I can see things for what they are, but still. I don't need a movie to be Lord of the Rings spectacular or have the realism of a movie like Schindler's List to be considered good. That's my thing. Sometimes it's okay to love something that isn't perfect. The most perfect things in the world are the ones that have the greatest imperfections sometimes. It's those imperfections that make it perfect. And no, it's not Shark Exorcist. So keep in mind, there can always be worse movies. I do not see this as the worst movie of all time. I see this as a movie that, here we go, this is where you're all going to... Don't be eating anything when I give you my rating, okay? I don't want you to choke on a pepperoni or a pretzel. Eight Dark Lords out of ten, kids. Yes, I fucking love this movie. It's an eight out of ten for me. And I have no shame or regret about that. Nope. It's it, it's stupid. It's supposed to be. We're talking about a talking fucking duck. So 
Yes, I'm totally okay with this. I think it is... <laughs> it's a fun movie. And it does what it's supposed to do. And it has bothered me for so many years that so many people took this thing seriously. I've owned it... Well, I still have my VHS tape. I've owned it on DVD. I ended up giving that to a friend that didn't have it when I got my Blu-ray. I've had all formats of this still on the hunt for the, the soundtrack but i will eventually get that there's actually two versions of the soundtrack also um in 2019 is it Invada records uh, they released like a full like three cd expanded edition that has like all the musical cues from um sylvester LeBay and uh john barry has Everything that they recorded for the movie, plus it has the songs done by the Cherry Bomb Band and whatnot. The one I'm looking for is the vinyl record that came out when the movie came out that was released by MCA Records. It's got basically the songs by the Cherry Bomb Band and then a few of the more important musical cues that were done by John Barry. That's the one I'm looking for. I'm still looking for it. Well, looking for it. And I found it, but I'm not paying you know 200 space ducks for it okay like seriously I, there are limits people um but yeah this was a fun one to talk about this is a fun movie i hope i know I, I, and i don't expect that you know by me putting my review out there that all of a sudden it's going to change everyone's mind about this movie if you don't like this movie you don't like this movie you're not going to change but i wanted to put my thoughts out there and on that note, thanks for coming back. I know it's been a while. It took me a while to come back, but I'm back. And I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for being here, taking this in with me. Thank you for being a supporter of the show. Always being there, downloading and whatnot. Um, social media has not made it easy for us anymore. Um, algorithms are even harder now to uh, share episodes. And the last episode I did still blew my mind considering the fact that Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter have basically made it harder on podcasters now. We, we can share an episode and five people may see it. Algorithms suck. If you don't write the, if you don't write the words COVID or you know uh, some hashtag of some you know current agenda, they don't care about you anymore. And it's disgusting, you know. It sucks, but still, I the last episode had quite the turnout, and I appreciated that. So thank you so much. Uh, as you all know, you can find the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, uh, FM Player, uh, Podbean. There, there's so many um, Castbox, and I see and I've seen it. I, I've gone looking myself. I was curious, and I do have subscribers on all of these different platforms. So that, that means a lot to me, guys. It really does. Um, when you share things on the internet that Constantine episode has been shared so fucking much it is the number one episode of the podcast Constantine I would have thought it would have been Nightmare on Elm Street 3 which was for the longest time Constantine has blown it away and I appreciate that so much so to all of you everyone sharing everyone listening everyone downloading and tuning in thank you so much you know you can find the show on facebook instagram and twitter even despite the stupid algorithms you guys are still finding stuff and sharing it so thank you so much for that 
the next episode, I'm debating between two films at the current moment, so I'm not going to announce what it is just yet because it's between two, and I'm going to see what I what I choose to go with. But on that note, thank you. I'm actually going to close out with a song this time around. I don't do this very often anymore because copyrights and shit. And I get that. Don't get me wrong. I understand the whole copyright thing, and I totally can appreciate it. But this is one of those where I need to have fun at the end of the episode. So without further ado, Cherry Bomb and Howard the Duck. Buck Al, he ain't, he, we are not giving him his chance this week. It is all Cherry Bomb. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time. Yeah.